All right, welcome in to RJ Bell's Dream Preview College Basketball Edition. I am AJ Hoffman, joined as always by my co-host who carries us in the best bets, Griffin Warner. Griffin, how you doing, man? I'm doing about as well as a five in a row could do. Uh, Ooh, feel really good. Fire. I feel like uh, my just blindly bet home dogs is a little bit more than that, but uh, certainly someone could argue that that's basically what I've been doing lately. It's been working pretty well. Um, I feel like eventually this college basketball market will wise up to uh, making some really questionable favorites because uh, I feel like all of them have lost pretty much. So um, very pumped, but uh, realized that unfortunately the curtain is on its way closing. So just trying to keep this going as long as possible. All right. there. It, this is a Thursday episode for Friday. Uh, and the big news in the college basketball world today is that Texas has officially now fired Chris Beard and they say it's for cause. They will not make another payment to Chris Beard. Uh, he, They say he has basically uh, had conduct unbecoming to the university. He is unfit to be the head coach at Texas. I want to get your thoughts as a, a college basketball guy, but also as a Texas alum. Let's Let's talk about the let's talk first about the short-term implications of this first did you see this coming is this something you expected or did you because it felt to me like texas waiting as long as they did to make a move it almost felt like they were trying to find a reason not to make a move they were trying to wait until people kind of forgot about it because chris beard's been such a boon for this university especially from a recruiting standpoint that i would I'm not saying it it would be right, but I could see a world where the powers that be, the boosters, would prefer to just uh, let's maybe let one one mishap slide and keep this program moving in the direction that it's moving because it's things are going well in Austin right now. Are you surprised at this? And what do you think the the thought process was on making the move happen? Uh, so I am a lot to unpack there. I am not surprised. Um, rumor, and unfortunately it's hard for me to separate based on my group chats that have been going off all day of other Texas alums. Um, supposedly Chris Beard had the option to resign until today. Today was the deadline. And I don't think there was any world where he was going to do that because he was just going to fight this and, uh, probably get a settlement out of it would be my expectation. Um, but I thought there was no chance he would ever coach again. Um, there was some rumors about him saying he'd go into rehab or, or things like that. And of course his fiance, like basically taking back the whole statement. Um, though, unfortunately it was taken by an Austin police officer and that's really hard to get away from. But I also some, saw something that came out from like our board of regents that said something to the fact of like that he didn't take this as seriously as he should have which I don't know if that was in interviews or in discussions or maybe what his lawyer said. Yeah, it was uh, like he's, he didn't he didn't think it was as big of a deal as, as they made it out to be, is what it sounded like to me. Yeah, that's really hard to say. I mean, I, I know that we lost a, a five-star recruit who was supposedly going to choose Texas or we were expected to be his landing spot. I don't exactly know who it was, but chose Baylor, I think, either last night or today. Um, I don't know if that's relevant to this decision. I'm sure it's not because it's huge financial decisions and, and a high schooler's decision to come to a university probably is less relevant or less important. But um, no, not surprised. I There was some friends of mine that thought he might 
uh, get another chance, might miss maybe the rest of the season. I figured as a rest of season ban minimum um, with Rodney Terry as associate head coach taking over and then we'll see what happens. But there was no real like um, smoking gun or NCAA violations here, which I think is usually what you see with college football coaches that have gotten in trouble recently where they would let that play out with the NCAA, wait for um, some show cause violations or whatever you what, whatever the NCAA calls it. And then they would essentially uh, terminate his employment. Then um, I don't think that was really the option here. This is more, I'm, I'm sure there's got to be some sort of morality clause in his contract, considering how much money he was worth. But um, unfortunately, Chris Beard did kind of make Texas basketball legitimate in Austin. And now that he's gone, we're going to have to go try to find some big name coach. We're going to shoot for the fences. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure it's going to work out. I'm interested in this also because I and I wonder if this had something to to do with the decision here because there's a player on Texas right now who's been dealing with some some charges as well, Arterial Morris, who I mean plays every game. This isn't like he's a freshman, but he's not a guy who like sits on the bench. This is like a a guy who's a factor for this team, top recruit at uh, out of Dallas, and he is dealing with a family violence. A charge or I guess a uh, they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to pursue assault charges but there was an altercation he had with an ex-girlfriend uh, they did not suspend him they've not changed his you know his status in any way and then I wonder if like the fact that they they haven't done anything with him had they let Chris Beard stay it would have almost been like you guys this is a, a almost a culture you're brooding here that's what this is this is showing us do you think that played anything into it um i don't because arterio Morris was offered a scholarship and i think this news sort of came out before they had inked him like officially and there was i mean i read some articles talking about how um he like flashed a gun and said on like the message part of a snapchat i'm gonna kill you to his ex-girlfriend with a gun pictured so not great uh when you hear that and then i think it was a lot based on it was a deep rabbit hole that i found myself in but it was essentially like if texas is going to allow this guy to play for him is chris beard like fostering a culture of violence and then that was before this whole <laughs> arrest happened um i do think that he has an aggressive side to him and i think that's part of what kind of that edge made chris beard and his defense as strong as it was that got him to this place though ultimately he took a circuitous route through junior colleges to arkansas little rock to texas tech of course and then to ut um I don't know. I mean, and, and I think coached a lot under Bobby Knight and I feel like there's some, um, I don't know if it's a, a flock fly together or whatever that phrase would be. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of commonalities between violence in this guy's past and his life. And unfortunately one that I think is going to cost him his dream job um, or it has. And I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's really a tough look, especially because Arturo Morris has been really hot from three lately. Um, but I think he's seemingly on the team for uh, the foreseeable future, unless something else happens. Cause I can't imagine he can go back and revoke a scholarship or something like that. I'm sure that would look pretty bad, but uh, I mean, I guess we could get there if the pressure turned up to that level. Um, I don't think it will. I think it's one of those, Oh, he was in high school. Didn't realize what he was doing type thing, which I think is completely insane. But 
Um, unfortunately, my feelings and, and kind of how our boosters spin things and really it's the money talks in, in the Texas uh, alumni areas. And, and unfortunately, it's big money and, and little money doesn't matter. Uh, people like me don't matter at all. It's really who's got the biggest checks that can buy out of Tom Herman or can um, I don't think this was up to any alumni boosters, but I think that there's probably some of the time that it took was boosters trying to say, no, no, this isn't that big of a deal. We should sleep this under the rug, which is seemingly exactly what Chris Beard felt as well. Okay, let's talk about Rodney Terry, who's been the interim coach since this happened, uh, just suffered his first loss in maybe the most Un, like I can't imagine a world where a Chris Beard basketball game ends 116 to 103. So clearly there's like a there's going to be a shift in how this team plays uh, or in the intensity that they play with. I don't know. But I, like I said, that would have never happened on Chris Beard's watch. I've, 103 points or 116 points allowed is unimaginable to me, especially at home. But what do we think of Rodney Terry as a coach? What do we think it means for the team this season? Because obviously this is a, a team that's got a ton of talent. I'd say they're probably a top five team in the country from a talent standpoint. What can Rodney Terry do with them? And what what kind of odds would you give the, for Rodney Terry to be the long-term solution here? Or does that really, does this season decide what his chances are? Uh, as an alum who does root for the team, I hope that that's not, that this season doesn't matter. I mean, unfortunately, Rodney Terry, he, I mean, he's been around the program a long time, but I don't think that Texas has like a blue blood Carolina type program that would hired Hubert Davis because he was on the staff. Um, I think we should be looking elsewhere because we really haven't had much success besides when Rick Barnes was around um, and that soured and kind of ended uh, sadly. But uh, Rodney T, and he, he was an assistant under Rick Barnes. He's been around. He left the U University of Texas, El Paso, the UTEP head coaching job to come back, um, just like a few other assistants on this current staff did, I think because probably we paid more um, and the pressure was different and probably was a better stepping stone for your next big job, head coaching job, and felt like UTEP wasn't going to really happen. Because unfortunately, I don't think Rodney Terry made the NCAA tournament with UTEP. He did uh, at Fresno State, which is a stop before he left Fresno for UTEP, which was kind of surprising, but I think that was a financial thing. Um, I think UTEP ponied up and was able to pay a lot more money because he had a, a program going in a decent direction at Fresno, but then really didn't, couldn't really get it much higher or better than that with UTEP. And unfortunately in their league, it's a one bid lead and he never league and he never really got enough there. Um, I'm sure the big names are really going to come out that who we're searching for. I think probably the top of the list that's reasonable is, is Eric Musselman from Arkansas. Um, but I don't know if that's realistic because unfortunately, even with the new Moody center that was built, which has been huge for, uh, crowd fan attendance and honestly looking like Texas basketball is actually a thing now. I'm not sure if I totally believe it, but certainly moving out of the Frank Irwin center and its huge capacity has helped in a more intimate setting. Um, and hopefully that is someone that can recruit another big name to come in. Cause I, I, I know Royal Ivy has been mentioned. So there's a, a, certainly an interest in trying to stay within the program, but unfortunately I just don't think Texas basketball has had that much success to really have a lot of players to draw upon to come back and, and, and take over. Well, let me let me go through a list of names and you tell me like how pie in the sky these are. I'll start with the most pie in the sky one. The one that I heard and I instantly said, this is never going to happen. This guy passed up on like UCLA and Kentucky is Mark Few. And that's the, like 
I saw Mark Few trending on Twitter. I was like, why is this happening? Oh, Texas fan saying hire Mark Few. I'm going to go ahead and cross that one off the list already. Like if he's not leaving Gonzaga for UCLA, he's probably not leaving for Texas. Is Jay Wright worth a call? I mean, do you at least let him say no? I I mean, we had supposedly Nick Saban in the bag in like 2010 or something like that. So everyone is worth a call. Um, I think, unfortunately, we're going to get turned down a lot. But I think also enough of these coaches kind of realize that they don't need to be the first pick in the draft or first uh first one you ask to the prom uh, i think eventually when you become the texas head coach that's what matters um i think certainly mark few would be awesome but i would agree that he seems very very content in spokane washington going fishing on i guess before practice each day or whenever he does it um and why would you try to rebuild a program that has really struggled and really an athletic department that's struggled for over a decade now, close to a decade and a half. Um, I think Jay Wright would be awesome, but I think he was like pure, pure blood, pure bread Villanova um, was uh, an assistant or at least grew under Rossi Massimino. And, and so uh, Raleigh Massimino, I forgive me. The names are struggling. I'm struggling with the names right now, but anyway, I don't think that he's going to do anything except go back to Villanova. And I don't think that's realistic because it was kind of a surprise retirement, uh, but he got his guy, put him in place. Um, and I honestly don't really know where we're going to go because it's uh, the, the money's going to have to matter. And I feel like there's some other names with pretty big athletic department budgets that might match uh, whatever we're throwing at them, considering Texas basketball is a second or third tier sport at our school. Is Kelvin Sampson a possibility? Or if not, Kellen Sampson, who I know Kelvin wants to see get a a real job. Uh, Kellen sounds like a huge gamble considering he has not been, I don't think, a head coach. I think he's only been an assistant to his father. Uh, I do think that is a nice bloodline for the future. Also would be weird to have a former Oklahoma coach, but he's well past that and also well past the text message scandals from Indiana. Um, so I, I mean, that would be cool. I, I don't think Kelvin Sampson is very young. Um, and I don't know that our current athletic director is going to take, uh, Chris Conti is going to take risks like that to give a first time head coach a job. Um, especially considering how poorly things have gone and how many buyouts we're probably still paying, um, to the likes of Charlie Strong, uh, Tom Herman and all those sort of things. One last name, Jerome Tang, who is the head coach now at Kansas State, but really was one of the key guys in building what Baylor's done. So a guy who's got clear Texas roots and has shown to be a major recruiting guy in this in the state of Texas. I mean, it's been less than a year of him being a head coach, but is he worth a look knowing that he could maybe keep some of the talent you've got and continue to bring top tier talent in? He's an interesting name and uh, you can't argue with Baylor's success. And I think Scott Drew has said a lot about how Jerome Tang has been a huge reason for that, which makes me wonder if part of the step back, I mean, it's hard to be the top team in the world essentially, but uh, Baylor's come down a little bit, I think maybe because Jerome Tang left and, and who knows, maybe the huge onslaught of transfers that he brought in to Kansas state, not exactly a desirable spot, I think, in the world to go play basketball for a year, but got the likes of Keontae Johnson, which is huge. Um, that's an interesting one. And it seems like he is fully like he's dancing after games at K-State. He's like staying afterwards, doing the fight song, the chants and things like that. 
Um, pretty cool guy and seems like uh, about as genuine as it comes. Um, Scott Drew has never been quiet to say this guy deserves a head coaching job. And, and certainly, um, <laughs> I mean, after last night's 1.49 or something like that, offensive efficiency or points per possession, that was nuts. I don't think that'll happen again. And honestly, that's like Mark Few's best Gonzaga team style. But um, it's an interesting one for me. I feel like um, a lot of Texas people would set, kind of put their nose up to that and say he's not Brad Stevens or something like that. But um, we also got to realize who's actually potentially in the pond that we could catch and uh, that Stevens guy might not be. Uh, last question. What do you think Texas's ceiling is for this season now? Because I think coming into the season, like I don't think it would have been crazy to say Texas is a final four team. Like I, I don't think it would. I think now that might be a little wild. I'm trying not to be a pessimist about Texas basketball, but I've kind of been that way for a while. It's pretty much, I rarely bet them. It's, it's usually a fade or, or no play for me. Um, ever since Rodney Terry's taken over besides that first game against rice, which was a, a bit of a struggle, we've had adjusted offensive efficiencies of one thirteen or higher. I don't think that's because Rodney Terry is an awesome offensive coach. I think that's because Texas has been shooting the ball a lot better lately. Um, I can't really explain that defensive performance last night. Unfortunately, it's on the uh, vaunted Longhorn Network, which I don't even get in the state of Texas, so I can't even watch it, which is absolutely insane. But um, I think that the uh, ceiling on this team is slightly capped. I don't know necessarily that I thought it was extremely high anyway, and that might be being a fan for so long, um, not really believing it until I see it. Certainly there's a lot of talent in this team. And I mean, with the way Marcus Carr has been shooting lately, uh, the addition of Serge Barry Rice and also uh, Tyrese Hunter have been huge. We have a really good team. I'm very worried that unfortunately the drama surrounding this and, and what surely will be picked up in Austin news and probably nationally, I saw it even on PTI today at a barbershop that like there's going to be a lot of clouds hanging over this program and I don't know in a in a world where Texas has not exactly shown the strongest backbone in the past and in, in its sports and athletic programs. I worry that this sinks our ship a little bit sooner than it would have. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that we were a final four team uh, by any means. All right. Well, there we go. That's the latest on Chris Beard and the University of Texas situation. Now, let's get into what we've got going this weekend in college basketball and let's start with an sec matchup and we talked about kentucky last pod we both thought maybe the lsu number was a little out of hand i'm not sure kentucky's a good team yet kentucky at alabama we're gonna project the tide at minus five and a half what do you think of this one griff uh, it's a little bigger than I was expecting, um, but I think is somewhat deserved. I mean, that Kentucky line, they had a couple chances to really blow LSU out of the water, weren't able to take those. I'm glad, especially glad for the pod that both you and I had LSU in that one. Um, but I just, for, honestly, I don't really know where some of these Kentucky lines come from. I, I think I made in our guesses, uh, AJ usually sends me the games. I send lines over that I'm expecting. Um, I was, I honestly thought Alabama would be a little bit cheaper than that. Uh, I think I projected four or that was my guess yep, on what I'd four. see. Not necessarily because I, I believe that that's what the line should be. I just feel like Kentucky, maybe it's because they have a ton of fans and they get bet more heavily than other programs. I do think does come into play in a sport that isn't the NFL while the NFL is going on. Um, I just don't know really what to expect 
with Kentucky. Um, I, I don't think they're the same team or program they had been in the past. I think this transfer portal stuff has really balanced talent where um, the five-star freshmen don't all in droves go to Kentucky anymore. And I think it's kind of showing a, a question that we had about coach Calipari about his ability to really um, kind of turn lemons into lemonade. I, I don't know necessarily that they're as strong, whereas Alabama is going to have, I mean, their crowd support has been awesome. Uh, and, and I got to say Alabama and Auburn are probably the two scariest home court environments in all of the sec at this point. And like three years ago, we were like laughing if I had said that. So um, I think it's going to re- be a really tough situation for Kentucky to walk into. And I, I think they come out with a loss. Now, is it big enough that Alabama covers, covers the spread? Um, not sure, but I, I think probably. So I think I lean Alabama, if anything, at home. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I Like I said, I don't know if Kentucky's really good. I, I think that Kentucky shoots well, and then I think that for, from three, and then Oscar basically covers up all the things that they do really poorly. And like they don't run any kind of offense to get good looks inside unless it's topping in transition. They don't make free throws. They, they're, just, they're a flawed offensive team. And... Alabama is, I think, borderline elite defensively. Uh, Ken Palm has them as the 12th best defensive team. I'm not sure how they aren't higher. It's not like ball pressure necessarily, and they don't turn you over, but they close and contest everything. They make it really tough to get clean looks. And on offense, I think Brandon Miller is a matchup nightmare. Like He reminds me a lot of Paul George. I don't know who can check him on this Kentucky roster. I think they've got a guy in Noah Clowney who is not going to just get punked out by Oscar. Like asking him to like uh, to keep Oscar off the glass or something. I think that's absurd. But I think he'll at least not just get steamrolled like you see a lot of these guys do. Uh, so I, if it, it's Alabama or nothing for me in this game until I see more offensively out of Kentucky and a way for them to really score points. That's not just chucking up threes, because if, if they're, you know, if there's a five minute span where they're not hot from three, they miss four in a row. It's like, Oh, this thing could get away from them in a hurry. Cause they, they don't really have a way to get offense other than that. So it sounds like we have some agreement on where Kentucky is right now. Let's go to the big East for our second game. Creighton at UConn. We're going to project UConn minus nine and a half. And Creighton is a team, when we did the uh, the preseason, the the Futures uh, episode, is a team that I liked as a potential national champion. And then Kalkbrenner got sick, mono, whatever. I mean, he did not, like, this Creighton team looked like a bum team. Like, it was like everything stopped with them. Obviously, he makes a massive difference on the defensive end, but I think he makes... He makes the offense a lot more fluid, even though he's not like a some sort of elite scorer. I don't think they lose to BYU. I don't think they lose to Arizona State. I'm not even sure they lose to Marquette without if he's on the floor. So I think we're still like getting some value on Creighton. And Creighton does the things that UConn like the things that UConn exploits, Creighton does a good job of. Creighton doesn't turn the ball over. They've got too many ball handlers they, like, between Nimhard and Shireman. Like they, they just have guys who can handle it all over the floor. They don't put you on the free throw line, and they don't give up a lot of second chance opportunities, which UConn's been thriving on. I have a lot of respect for this UConn team. I kind of hate playing against them, given they're coming off back to back losses. 
But this number feels a lot like that UConn Nova matchup we talked about a, a week or two ago, where it's like, really, this many points to to a to like an established team. This isn't Butler. Like this is a a team that we know is pretty good in Creighton, and we're getting almost ten points. It feels like too many. So uh, I'm probably going to be looking to get on the Jays here. What do you think? Well, uh, Butler fans, you can add AJ is the real uh, after that <laughs> comment. But I think Butler is, is actually turn, they're turning it up a little they bit. Maybe are. Maybe they are. You know, you know uh, but I get it. Um, I think this is a very similar game to Villanova. Uh, as I think that's a really good point you just made. Um, I think. As we've seen, Creighton, as soon as they get big cock back, they're uh, starting to uh, to win games. It's helped that three of three straight home games. I don't know why the Big East is doing that. Maybe uh, Kevin Willard was in the scheduling office this summer. Um, but I think from where I sit with with Connecticut um, and, and UConn is is so good and so scary, and their big guys inside are really really terrifying. But they shoot a million three-point shots, and it is kind of a high-variance game they play where yeah. if they make them, they can kill teams. And that does scare me uh, because ultimately this spread, whether it's eight, nine, ten in that range, can you tell me your projection again? Nine and a half is what I'm half. Yeah, I mean, nine and a half covers all fouling, essentially, um, unless you get something weird, like almost happened in that UNC Wake Forest game last night. Gross. But, um, <laughs> almost really bad. Um, but another another double win for the pod, which is great. Um, and, and But I, I got to say, with this type of number in that range, um, that means that Creighton need to hang around. And I think they have the ability to do that. Uh, I think Kalkbrenner can cause some problems inside with his length, size, all those sort of things. Uh, and really what it does is it offers at least some line of defense before you get into kind of the soft, younger freshman underclassmen, essentially for, for Creighton that it's going to be probably feasted upon by a UConn team. So if you can keep Ryan Kalkbrenner out of foul trouble, which is definitely a big if against the kind of two headed monster that, that UConn's running, that scares me. I also worry about UConn um, being pretty angry and fired up for this one, though. I'm not sure that works well with a coach because he loves taking te- technicals at really, really bad times. Oh my God. Honestly. That, that, honestly and that's always the wild card. If you're betting on UConn is, you know, never know like if it's a close game he could he could screw up the whole thing for you i mean you got to be prepared to give up it's it's essentially add two points to the the yukon spread uh if they're a favorite or decrease two from their plus sign because they uh ultimately you have to worry about that coach and that's unfortunately it's like inexcusable but i guess at least he's not choking his fiance um and, and i think <laughs> the whole the whole thing for me is creighton's big enough to to look at um though i think before talking about this i would have said I'm a little scared that UConn runs away with this one, but I I honestly was been pretty nice going against them in their last two matchups. And and I feel like um, I think UConn is, this is the first like sign of adversity and we'll see if they can handle it. Yeah. This this isn't a UConn team that was like picked to be a top five team in the country preseason. Like if you said that they were going to have some runs where they're really good and they're going to have some runs where they lose three in a row, if you told me that two months ago, I, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. They've been better than anybody thought. But, I, I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's, it's been a short sample size. We don't know for sure how great this team is. I, I tend to believe they're very good. But, man, it, I also, again, I think Creighton is a a, a really good sleeper team, especially with Kalkbrenner out there. So uh, it is take the points or pass for me. Let's take a look at Houston-Cincinnati, which is a Sunday game. 
And Houston is on the floor right now as we record this against SMU. Uh, that was a 22, 23-point spread. And they are currently, or it was a 20-point spread. I'm sorry. They're currently up 34 points with eight minutes to go. So Houston doing Houston things. Normally, we like we try to talk about the the most competitive matchups of the week. This I, I want to make sure we talk about Houston because they are one of the top teams in the country. And fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, there's not a lot of opportunities for us to talk about them against quote unquote competitive teams in the American. Outside of Memphis, this might be the best we get. So we're going to project Houston 11-point road favorites at Cincinnati. And I'll be honest, I, this is a, this SMU game is another example. Unless you're like a top-level team, Houston just goes out of their way to embarrass teams. And I don't see Cincinnati as a top-level team. What I do like about Cincinnati is they don't turn the ball over a lot. And if you turn the ball over against Houston, you're you're losing by 40. Like, that's just – that's the starting point. Houston turns teams over, and they always turn it into points. Cincinnati does protect the ball. They are 12th nationally in turnover rate. Uh, that's a that's a great start if you're trying to match up against this Houston team. The problem is, offensively, they they don't have a lot. Like this is a, a, a it's not a bad offense. It's just there's there's nothing they do really well. They don't shoot the ball really well. Which, I mean, nobody shoots the ball well against Houston anyway. You're not going to get much inside against. Like this team is so elite defensively that it's hard unless you're a, an elite offense, it's hard for me to, to say, well, how are they going to score? So even if they don't turn it over, where did the points come from? You're the Cincinnati's not going to get second chances against this team. Uh, and Houston will probably get plenty. They're not uh, Cincinnati's not a good free throw shooting team. I just don't see where the points start to pile up for Cincinnati. I think this is one of those games where Houston jumps out to a big lead and they just keep the the pedal to the metal until Cincinnati melts, and they probably win this game by fifteen or twenty. What do you, do you see something different? It's hard for me to to really have any. I, I got to say at this point, I don't really look at Houston games much. Uh, I do make a line for every game on the card each day, which takes me forever, um, especially considering <laughs> I can't even name a player on Alabama A and M. But um, Houston, are, I think I'm treating them like a Gonzaga right now of a few years ago where they're just going to thrash everyone. I, I do appreciate you getting and working Houston onto our podcast because I know Jim Nance is a huge fan and listener. Um, but I just I don't know. Besides a huge Cincinnati crowd, which it should be nuts there, um, but it didn't really work. They had to have a huge comeback against Xavier earlier this year just to lose right at the at the end. Um, I think that's probably the best case scenario you're looking for. Sorry, Cincy fans that are listening, but I, I think it's going to be a really tough matchup for them anytime really anyone goes against Houston, uh, but we'll probably talk about them again in March when they go on the road to Memphis. And, and if, I mean, remember that probably the best team that Houston has gone on the road against was Virginia. And that game was close for probably seven or eight minutes. And then you start to feel, you started to feel that squeeze and, you know, that was a, a really tightly lined game. That was Houston's tightest line game of the season. And 
Houston ends up winning that game by eight, although probably, I mean, if you watch the game, you probably thought it should have been a double-digit win. But Virginia, certainly a team, the pace that they play at makes it really hard to run away from them. Cincinnati's going to look to to play more possessions. And I think if the more possessions you're willing to play with Houston, the more likely you are to get blown out. Uh, so I, I worry for Cincinnati in this game. And like I said, it, we don't have the final on this Houston SMU game right now, but it looks like it's going to be another dominant victory. That's what they're doing. If, if unless you're a, a, a you know a top fifty team, they are wrecking you. Uh, and I I mean what they did to Tulsa at Tulsa last week, they they beat them by almost forty points, and that was like Tulsa was uh, it was a, I mean it wasn't a I mean it was post Christmas crowd so. Maybe it wasn't full, but watching it on TV, they were certainly at the beginning of the game, they were certainly hyped to be there. This was like a I think Houston's the team that when they come to your building in this conference, everybody's gonna get hyped up for your chance to beat them. And like they buried that team. And there were much fewer people in the in the stands than there were at the beginning of the game by halfway through the the second half. So I could see a similar situation here. All right, last game we're going to look at uh, before best bets. We're going to go to the Big Ten, and we're going to look at Ohio State and Maryland. We're going to project this as a pick, and as it sits right at this very moment, uh, Rutgers just finished absolutely shellacking Maryland, and that's the I think it's the second time in a row that Maryland's been – buried uh they they just got buried at michigan in maybe the one of the most embarrassing performances of the season losing by 35 points against a michigan team that there's been a lot of questions if they're even good uh and then they lose by 14 at rutgers 64 50 just an ugly physical game ohio state as we speak is in a tie ball game with a minute to go i've got it up here on my tv uh, in the background against Purdue. And so this is obviously a great showing for Ohio State. Of course, this showing is at home. We know how important and both the bad uh, both the bad performances by Maryland on the road. We know how important home court is in the Big Ten, but I also am old enough to remember right before Christmas break when UCLA went to Maryland and in Maryland's home building pulled their pants down. I don't know if Ohio State can do that, but I like their roster. Uh, I, I like Holtman. I, I, I feel like this team. It, the, there's some of the, some of the data points concern me. Losing to North Carolina uh, on a neutral concerns me because I don't think North Carolina is very good. Uh, so I, I don't know if I think this is a great team, but I think they're pretty good, and. I mean, the fact that they're playing this kind of game with Purdue right now, it makes me feel like they could overcome the home court advantage, but it also means they're going to be coming off. If they, if they win this game, they're coming off their biggest win that they're going to be able to get all season. If not, they're coming off a, a massively disappointing loss to Purdue where they were tied with them in the final minute. So without knowing how this game ends, how do you feel about the Buckeyes chances uh, at Maryland? I think this situation, as you just detailed, sets up really, really well for Maryland. Uh, but I don't really know how we can trust them at all to do anything of note that's actually like 
good and, and progressing for the, the team. Um, I, I can't say that I've gotten Maryland very correct this year. Um, I bet against them with St. Louis and they won, I think by 30 or something like that before but that might be a St. Louis problem. St. Louis may just absolutely stink. Correct. But the problem is I just don't know necessarily if um, it's really hard to put a finger on what this Maryland team was. Maybe they started off the year really well and got those wins that were a little bit deceiving. Um, But ultimately I think Ohio state, as you mentioned, if they get this win, if they lose, it's also a quick turnaround going on the road for a Sunday game, probably in a pretty raucous environment, despite Maryland's struggles. Um, And there's the Chris Holtman effect where a lot of times his teams peak in December or January, maybe that's now, but uh, they're going to start trending downwards as they always do. I hope that it doesn't happen necessarily. I don't, dislike the guy i've just seen it happen so many times that i feel like this is a spot that i really want to back maryland but i I gotta say i note down when teams lose and lose badly because unfortunately you can't cover the spread if you can't hang in a game yeah and like some of the the wins that maryland had early that were like oh maybe this team's for real st louis is one of them i mean louisville by the time they beat louisville we pretty much knew louisville was terrible but even the Illinois win that they started out conference with, I, I don't know now if Illinois is any good. I, I thought Miami was a really good win. And then Miami, you know, loses yesterday to Georgia Tech. Like, so I, I just don't know if if Maryland's as good as their early season resume said they were, or if they're closer, like I said, to the team that got blown out at home by UCLA and now just has back-to-back terrible showings. Either way, I guess long story short, I wanted to back Maryland here as a a pick, and they they actually may be getting points at home now, given, like I said, Ohio State uh, is is giving Purdue all they can handle, and Maryland just got blown out. So even getting a a point or two I don't think is going to be enough for me now uh, because I feel like these two teams are trending in very opposite directions. All right, Griffin, before we get to best bets – I know you like to reward our listeners for sticking with us. I do. I do. Uh, and it kind of makes, you know, really, I like being on this side that uh, usually in the soccer pods I do with McKenzie, he always reads the uh, save people money stuff and it makes me feel like the Grinch. But here we go uh, for our first episode of the new year. Uh, please use promo code CBB Charlie boy boy 20 and you get 20% off for all listeners of this college basketball podcast good for seven days from the podcast release release you have until January 12th to uh, get some, save some money, uh, find some picks from AJ, myself, um, my soccer picks come out usually every night. Uh, if you want to get involved in that uh, really difficult sport, but ultimately one that can go well for you as well. Uh, jump in there. AJ, I'm sure is putting out a bunch of UFC stuff, which I can't even name a, a person in that type of sport, but uh, use the promo code, Charlie Boy Boy, CBB20, get 20% off uh, for the next week. All right, let's get into best bets. I will go first since my game is on Friday. Okay. Uh, And I actually kicked around two different Ivy League games. I ended up settling on the team I thought I could trust a little more defensively. And I'm going to go with, by the way, just pulling the curtain back a little bit. Uh, yesterday I had six college basketball wagers. Griffin and I usually exchange our, our plays for the day. And I said, yep, three of them 
road favorites and Griffin likes to give me grief for betting road favorites. Uh, I went three and three and you'll never guess which three the losers were. That's right. All three road favorites. So I am at least for the time being going to try to steer more clear of those. I've at least I've told myself if you've got two of them on your card, you need to eliminate the one you like less. So that's what I'm doing. I have one going tonight. Uh, it's Gonzaga, and and we'll we'll see if that. Uh, you'll know how that works out by the time you hear this pod. But I I I do need to probably pull back a little bit on these road favorites because they just haven't been getting there for me. And Griffin, as we said, five straight best bet winners. I got to get on his level. So I'm going now with a road dog. And Harvard plus one and a half at Brown. This number's up and available right now. Uh, so we're not projecting this. This is the number. And I'm getting the more battle-tested team here in Harvard, uh, facing a Brown team that has some talent, but is probably still a year away from putting it all together. Uh, they've lost three of their last four, including a loss on their home floor to open conference play against Penn. And not that that's like a bad loss or anything, but you know, if you're if you're getting beat by almost double digits at home, it's not a good sign. Harvard went to Fog Allen and just before Christmas, and they gave Kansas all they could handle. I, I don't know if you remember this game, but they were a 14. It was final was a 14 point Kansas win, but this was a five point game with like six or seven minutes left to play. Like they were in it with Kansas the entire game. If you can go and compete in that building, you're going to handle playing at a conference foe in the Ivy League where home court. It means less than any other conference in the country. Brown relies heavily on threes. Uh, Offensively, Harvard's top 40 nationally in defending the arc. And the Crimson have a massive side edge. They should get plenty inside. Since Mike Martin has taken over at Brown, they are 4-14 and against Amaker's teams. So getting Harvard as a dog who's already 5-3 and three on the road, I trust the Crimson to get it done here. Harvard plus 1.5 at Brown, my best bet. Yeah, uh, as a Rhode Island native, um, I thought that Brown might be coming out and maybe potentially putting a, a run to get into the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, I've been watching their uh, power rating by the marketplace, by odds makers, whoever is making the numbers, uh, get worse and worse by the second, it feels like. So don't hate that idea. Uh, I'm going to go on a Saturday matchup because I don't think the Big 12 has played a Sunday game in uh, history, but I'm going to go with Iowa State, fresh off a big win at Oklahoma. Scary a little bit for me there, I'll admit. Uh, but they're visiting TCU, and they are what AJ projected me is a four-point underdog. Uh, I'm willing to bet them as any sort of underdog on the road at TCU. Uh, I'm not a believer in the TCU offense, and I feel like that is against much in, or much inferior defenses, far worse defenses than the one that they're going to face in Iowa State. Um, conference plays here, and I feel like I'm watching a ton, a ton of fouls not getting called. And that is a perfect setup for Iowa State. I think it's a big reason why they went so far in the NCAA tournament last year, despite absolutely no expectations, um, is because when they're in a position that they can get away with fouling you, they will do it. They will do it for 40 minutes. It's like the Rick Pitino style foul them because they're not going to call it because the game will take eight hours. Um, And I think it really works. And, And I think Iowa State 
with their additions of the St. Bonaventure transfers and Osun Oshuniyi, who's such a big body presence in, on the interior. I think every point is going to be tough for TCU to put up. And as a favorite, I and, and honestly, with a crowd that I don't expect too much to, to come from, not a great home home court advantage there unless they're playing Kansas, it seems. Plus, they got that thing called that national championship coming up. And I feel like a lot of their their biggest, biggest fans will be on the road, traveling, getting ready for a uh, Georgia upset. I don't know. But um, I'm going to go Iowa State to AJ's plus four number, but I'm playing them down to plus one. I think it's important if you can get it above a possession or at least a full possession of plus three. Uh, but that plus four was too big for me to, to resist. So I will take Iowa State plus four to go along with AJ's Harvard best bet. And uh, hopefully we get a 2-0 here because I would love to see it. Yeah, I think you're going to get a good number here on Iowa State, given that TCU just came off back-to-back wins over Texas Tech and Baylor, and Baylor on the road. Uh, so I think there's some – they're riding high right now. Uh, I This is a, a sort of a, a silly thought, but I was thinking it today. The, the entire Big 12, with maybe the exception of Kansas, feels so tightly – you know, put together that I'm almost willing to take any underdog. Like it feels like if you, if you can get points in the big 12 and not a Kansas game, you should probably take those points because it feels like this, you know, I, this is conference. I really think it would not shock me if every team from this conference made the tournament. I don't think that's out of the question. And given where, you know, Texas, who was supposed to be at the top of the pile in this conference, uh, where they're at now, I I really think the separation between number two and number 10 in this conference isn't a lot. So if you can get outside of a possession on any of these teams, I'm that's where I'm going to start looking. I think I think it's probably, as you said, very unlikely that all 10 teams will make the NCAA tournament, despite the Big 12 name. There's 10 in the conference. Um, drives me insane, but whatever. Um, but I do think that any team on that conference member list uh, could make this tournament. I don't think you can say that about any league out there. Unfortunately, what I think that does, it's going to really muddy up who is good and who is what and really add a bunch of losses to a lot of ledgers, which unfortunately is going to mean that seating probably won't be as high, uh, which could give us some value like with a team like Iowa State that might go on a little bit deeper run than the uh, seeds would suggest in the NCAA tournament. But um, I'm actually kind of rooting for as Texas winds down at time in the Big 12 uh, for a good showing. And part of me is like, man, why, why aren't I going to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament this year? But hopefully we got one more next year and I can make that happen. By the way, we'll just go ahead and put a bow on this thing. Purdue ends up beating Ohio State 71-69. And uh, Fletcher Lawyer made a three to put Purdue up two with 11 seconds left. They took a time, The Buckeyes take a timeout with six, seven seconds left. And out of that timeout, they do not get a shot off and lose by two. So Chris Holtman, everybody. <laughs> oh boy. I just said I like Chris Holtman too. Let's let, maybe we should edit that out. I don't know. I <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do about that. But uh now so now we get Ohio State coming off a heartbreaking loss as they go to Maryland. All right, that will do it for the pod. Hopefully, uh, like Griffin said, we get back on track these two and O weeks. We keep splitting, and you know we had the one where it was one O and one. 
I'm ready to get back in the 2-0 column. Uh, so hopefully this is the start to that. Griffin, great job as always. Appreciate your insight on the Chris Beard situation. And thanks to you guys for listening. We will be back Sunday night for a Monday morning episode. You guys enjoy the hoops this weekend. Thank you.